Hello and welcome to the SciComm Journal Club podcast. In today's episode, we talk about how people perceive science videos online, and we have a special guest. Hello and welcome to the SciComm JC podcast, your one-stop shop for effective and impactful science communications approaches. At SciComm JC, we aim to help scientists integrate findings from the latest evidence-based research in social sciences and in education into their outreach efforts. We curate, summarize and discuss research studies and their applications to real communication contexts in a way that scientists can easily implement. Welcome everyone to episode number 21 of the Science Communication Journal Club podcast. Today we'll talk about research uh, that was recently published on how people perceive science videos that are published online. Uh, what are the possible implications of the findings for the from this research for the understanding of science and what you could practically take home as a learning if you wish to create your own videos as a psychom medium. But first, welcome to my guests. Today we have Sherry, Maria, Minevena and Heather and we also have a very special guest, Rashmi Sharon. Uh, she's also known as Astro Roxy from Twitter, and she's the first place winner on our 2021 State Your Mission Statement Challenge. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hi, welcome. Hello. Rashmi. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Sherry, why don't you remind our listeners first, what was the State Your Mission Statement Challenge this year about? Yeah, so the challenge is about uh, encouraging science communicators to sit down and write a mission statement for themselves. So in order they uh, have a picture and clear goals for their efforts. We've been doing this for, I think four years now. So every year in January, uh, we start the challenge, we launch the challenge and we ask people to sit down and write their mission statement and enter a contest to win prizes. And usually this takes place on Twitter. And every year we try to give it a different flavor. This year we insisted that in order to qualify for first place, you have to do something creative. It can't be just text. And then we put um, those uh, artistic submissions to vote on Twitter and Rashmi won the largest margin of votes. Congratulations, Rashmi. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What are you doing? And what made you so passionate about science communication that you won our challenge? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. So I'm Rashmi Sharan. I am a multimedia science communicator, and I am the chief astronomical officer at a space education company known as Space Unova, which is based in Delhi, India. Now, I have been uh, into science communication since almost two years now, although I did not actually start it with videos. Um, I hope we can, you know, more talk about videos later on. But I just wanted to, I was very interested in the field of astronomy and I was studying physics in my college. So I was just thinking that what actually I want to do further on in my life. And that's when I realized that uh, maybe just pursuing uh, physics and astronomy uh, through the ac uh, academia, like, you know, doing a PhD in astrophysics may not be the best uh, the career path that I want to take. So I switched from physics to science communication and I started doing science communication on social media. So it's been almost a year now. And uh, I was just thinking that I discovered 
that doing science communication and talking about astronomy through this medium was much more engaging and fulfilling for, uh, to me compared to the studies I was doing in college. So, you know, that is why I'm still continuing in this path. And I'm also thinking of just pursuing another degree uh, in science communication and not in physics. And yeah, so that's how I got into science communication. And also I started making science videos after a while. So first I was just doing science communication on uh, social media. So just on Twitter, on Instagram, posting things and posting stories. But uh, sometimes I thought like, why not actually we can make a video? I was not a person who was very, you know, camera friendly, but I learned it. And I, when I look at my previous videos, I'm like, what exactly was that? Because I did not even have a proper setup, a mic or a lightning. But over the few months, I have uh, really progressed. And yeah, if somebody sees, they can uh, spot that too. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, indeed. You have to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Rashmi, you were a co-host on a Twitter chat that we hosted this past week, uh, and you picked the paper for that chat, uh, and it's called Audiovisual Science Communication on TV and YouTube, How Recipients Understand and Evaluate Science Videos. That's a paper that was published in the journal Frontiers of Communication just this past year, in 2020. Given that you do yourself um, videos, it makes sense that you selected that uh, article. And we found it very interesting as well, because it's uh, a small team of German scientists. Well, they're based in Germany. I don't know if they're German. <laughs> But they basically evaluated uh, a quite a large number of science oriented science content videos on the on YouTube as a platform. Um, they basically try to categorize them by the types of videos, whether they're animations, whether they're uh, videos that are specifically made with an expert explaining a scientific concept, or whether it's some sort of a more complex um, type of almost TV-like program. And they try to evaluate whether that made a difference of how people perceive the content of this video, how well they're able to retain the knowledge that that video was trying to, to teach them, and whether different aspects of the video itself, not so much the, the scientific concept explained in it, would help or... Uh, potentially hinder the transfer of knowledge from that video to the audience. And there are some very interesting results uh, from that article. We're going to publish the Twitter moments also as a link to this podcast episode, so you can find the complete summary and also the link to the paper itself. But there are some results that are definitely worth noting. For example, one of the most interesting for me was that they discovered that at least from the videos that they studied and the people they surveyed, potentially the videos with animations in them are seem to be most suited to convey uh, a lasting uh, learning knowledge, meaning that the people that um, saw animated videos explaining a scientific concept were better able to afterwards uh, answer questions about the topic that they just saw the video so they could remember uh, factual knowledge 
uh, on that topic. Another result that was very interesting for me and kind of surprising uh, as compared to the animation videos is that the presence of a scientific expert in a video does not necessarily mean that the uh, audience of this video would any more easily or better remember the concepts that were being explained in that video. So it, it kind of means that the scientific qualifications in the context of a uh, an online platform like YouTube do not necessarily mean that uh, a video would uh, better qualified to teach someone a certain concept. Um, what do you think, Rashmi? What, what was interesting for you in that paper that you picked it up? What did you learn from it? Or were there some things that you already knew uh, either from learning about it or from just experiencing the platforms uh, doing your own videos? Yeah, so they have, they, there were some things like that I sort of knew from my personal experience, but I did not, like I was not certain of them, like were they actually true in the mainstream or not, because that's just my personal experience. So like you already mentioned, about when there is an expert present in the video, somebody who has those academic and scientific qualifications. So I used to, like, I have personally seen like their videos compared to when a science communicator comes or somewhere just a random YouTuber comes who doesn't even have a degree in science and then they make the video. So uh, we can see how both of their videos, the quality and the ways they choose to explain the same scientific concept, they will be different. And I would be thinking like, okay, which one do I personally want to watch? But I wasn't really sure myself that that these scientific you know, qualifications, does they really matter or not? Is this just me? Or what about the other people in the audience? Like, does everybody else also think the same? Thanks to this paper, like at least through the survey they did, I can have, you know, a say that, okay, even if a science communicator or a layperson, when they make a video, and when an expert makes a video, um, you know, because of this uh, qualification, at least there is not much uh, correlation between, you know, uh, if the audience or if the viewer says that, okay, maybe this information is wrong, or maybe I'm not able to understand this information. And rather when a science communicator is doing and making these videos, they actually perform better in the YouTube algorithm. They are just most enjoyed by the audience. And, you know, one of the main highlights was the paper that we need to, you know, to educate the people, we need to entertain them, which is maybe not something, you know, that is very popularly accepted, at least in the academia, because in classrooms, uh, like whether it is in school, in high school, in, you know, uh, or even in college, it's like the culture that we have inside the classroom is very different from what we see on YouTube. Mm. Personally, when I was in, like when I, I'm studying in India, so it's like, it's very different and you just have to study from books and, you know, what the professor is teaching. And that is very different from what we see the same concept when it is explained in YouTube. So even if the YouTuber doesn't necessarily have a degree and maybe they even fail their exams, the way they're explaining the same concept, it just sticks in our heads more and, you know, we understand it more. So these kind of things, like, you know, if a paper says that when we entertain or when we have these methods which are creative and interactive and engaging, that actually helps the audience to retain that knowledge or, you know, to actually accept that it is factually correct compared to something that I did not even understand. So these kind of findings really help me and uh, they make me believe that, okay, I can like, try this path out 
and there are people like uh, who have been who are doing research in science communication who have published these results so i was like sort of uh, surprised and i was also relieved that okay at least this is not just me but this is like other audience can also feel it because now i have been on the both spectrums i have been a viewer and now i'm somewhere who is now producing so i'm going to the other side so yeah. just you know thanks to these papers it was uh, very good I think indeed that result is uh, at the first read it was a bit discouraging um uh, in a way that you're thinking like okay if I have certain uh expertise in science it doesn't at all mean that my videos would be better perceived by the audience then why should I bother at all if I have to compete on common ground with everyone uh, saying whatever they want on YouTube without any credentials but on the other hand indeed it, it can be quite encouraging um for uh, science communicators or for people who decided to switch career paths from science to communication you don't have to show off all your potential credentials phd professorships and what not on youtube for people to take you seriously because it doesn't matter for them as long as the content that you provide is relevant for them it's uh, it teaches them something it entertains them to an extent but it also um is relevant for their life personally they're interested in the topic so it can be quite encouraging and i choose to view <laughs> i choose to view the result from that aspect to be honest what about the others did you find something surprising in that paper or something that you were like oh now i understand why this is like this for me i think uh, many of the findings were consistent with good communication principles such as keeping it simple not sharing too much information in one blast so that uh, you can keep the focus of your audience proper framing so one of the things that they mentioned was um, provide the information in within a familiar context so uh, they start people start learning something based on something they a, a context they already know um i found it interesting that voice over is effective rather than this speaker visible but that kind of makes sense because if you have uh, somebody who is in the video and kind of moving their hands and whatever trying to be either animated or not um it distracts people so from the point of view of the keeping people focused to teach them something that actually kind of makes sense yeah and um Yeah, I noticed the same results. It was really cool. And then I really focused a lot on uh, there was a part about uh context knowledge. The reason I was focusing on that is because I thought, you know, or at least I'm trying in my own videos to provide that by having more of a conversation with my guests about science and kind of ask all kinds of questions. Some of them are like silly or unexpected to be able to give like bits of knowledge some sort of like context right so so maybe it's easier to remember or link it to other concepts but um i wanted to ask you guys uh, uh those who review the paper what exactly is context knowledge and how does it differ from the other type it's quite interesting concept and i had mm -hmm. to check it out because i wasn't aware of it so um they were basically testing two different types of knowledge re knowledge retention with the videos that they checked well they used with the audience that they surveyed so they gave their audience after watching a certain number of videos 
uh, two different tests. One was about factual knowledge, and factual knowledge is the knowledge of terminology, specific mm. details, basic elements within the domain that the video was about. So, for example, if the video was about about black holes, a factual knowledge might be a black hole. The closest black hole is that many light years away from Earth, or uh, the gravity of the biggest black hole that we know about is this much, or things like this. It, it's an information that can and must be learned through basically committing to memory. So there's not really much logic going into remembering simple facts. Mm -hmm. And most of those videos performed uh, to a certain degree um, well in conveying factual knowledge, at <laughs> least in the short term that <laughs> they surveyed their audience. But what they discovered is that the majority of the different types of videos that they um, they studied, the what they call in the paper structural oh, knowledge, yes. which what I think you refer, mm -hmm. Maria, as uh, context knowledge, because it's it's kind of a synonym as well, is the knowledge which actually allows you to connect those different facts that you've committed to memory as part of your factual knowledge, and it it. To an extent, I think it makes sense <laughs> that educational YouTube videos are not necessarily that good at conveying uh, or teaching structural knowledge because you really need to go through a potentially longer but much more, more elaborate mm. uh, thought process to kind of put everything in the right place in a certain domain yeah. <laughs> to oh. be able to connect the dots in the right way. Thanks, Nivena, for actually explaining that. Yeah. Yeah. And I had another question, actually. Uh, Rashmi, I would really love to ask you something. So during the Twitter chat, I learned that now you, you do now uh, the 30 second videos, which is, wow, I, I'm so impressed because for my own Psycom YouTube channel, like my goal is to stick to at least 10 mini minutes. And uh, for me, that's already incredibly hard in terms of time <laughs> commitment to cut my chats, which are usually like 40 minutes long. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd love to ask. How do you approach creating such a short message? Do you start with a longer script and then cut, cut, cut to trim it to like essentials that are still easy to grasp? Or are you able to start with like a key skeleton message that has the main point clearly stated and then you add enough detail to it um, while still staying within 30 seconds? So I'd love to know your approach. Yeah, so that's uh, like I also, you know, that was very hard for me before I did not make these YouTube videos for myself. So I personally started with these longer videos uh, where I used to record for multiple hours. I was thinking, okay, if a five video minutes needs to go, I used to record for many hours to just shoot five to seven to eight minutes video. And same goes for the descriptions. Like if I'm having an interview with someone or I'm just going live, that would be, let's say one hour long or 30 minutes long video and I'll, trim it and take very uh, a key moment that I had said something impactful. So even if somebody doesn't watch the whole interview, maybe they can just see that 30 second video. But then later on, I thought rather than investing so many hours and making those five to seven to eight minute videos, why, um, why don't I try something new? And that's when I started making these smaller videos. Um, one thing that I really noticed in this is the pre-production really exaggerates a lot. So I had to decide like what goes in the background, what exact sentences I have to say for how long, what will be coming on the screen. So I have to decide a lot of that. And I usually start with just what would be the main topic, like, you know, what is the 
let's say what would be the cover image of my entire video so that people would actually click it and they play it so what is that one text that would be coming in the video and then just two three facts and then i have to say okay like yeah this is now 15 seconds this is okay 20 ish seconds okay this is now going 40 seconds so i have to trim it just a bit but it doesn't really takes that much time once i have finally shot it the most of the time just simply goes into what exactly should be coming and if i perform it very good like um i don't have to mumble everywhere i have to like say those exact words no matter how many tries it takes because even if i just say two three more words if i take two longer seconds the length is exactly short like i will have to cut some words so it's like you know practice practice so that everything looks natural um but yeah i don't necessarily have to write a, a minute long script i just start with one sentence at a time and then i add um uh, two or three sentences to make the duration either 15 seconds or 30 seconds so that's wow. how I okay wow thanks for sharing so so one thing i was actually wondering about was whether the authors included topics or subject areas like maybe broadly defined in their typologies um or if that information was discussed anywhere in the article do you mean the the topics of the videos that they reviewed Yeah, I didn't know if it was broken down if anywhere they had broken it down by subject area or anything like that. So in the supplementary um, materials of the article there's a list of uh some of the 400 videos that they used to to in that study. I didn't go into super small details into checking those out, but I did see um physics and astronomy and because the they studied videos in German on Twitter, I didn't spend too much time <laughs> trying to figure them out because i don't speak german but the point is that in the paper they didn't actually separate the videos in different groups by their subject uh, of the science that they discuss they separate them by type of uh, as i said whether it's a, an animation or an expert talking or an interview or a, more of a storytelling video that's what i thought and why i was wondering about that and this occurred to me uh, during our twitter chat was that if the videos tend to be mostly around some of those like stem concepts or physical science concepts um there's a big piece that's missing i think you know as a social scientist i'm speaking from the perspective of social science that's a huge component i think that's important for science communication and especially for public understanding of science and so that's why i didn't know um if the 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 video topics themselves were were much more um focused on stem and with that being said i also think you know i wonder you know if that's part of it due to the video making process itself where of course it's a highly visual medium um and social science topics tend to be broad or sometimes more abstract and they may not make great videos um you know at least not visually <laughs> visually as visually entertaining or engaging potentially um although i don't know because i'm a video <laughs> virgin i've never made videos for my sitcom so <laughs> so that's just me guessing out here y'all can correct me um but but that was just something that i was wondering about because i also you know i i think there's a big component when we're talking about structural knowledge as well um that certain topics and again thinking you know about sort of the range of potentially important to science and public understanding of science topics um might actually you know have different levels of structural development knowledge and so i just wanted to put that out there as food for thought that's a very good point heather i don't think that they included as far as i can tell from looking at the list of uh, of videos i don't think they included social science uh, mm. videos and that's indeed a very interesting point because 
there even within the um, sciences there are topics that yield themselves easier to making a video about them than others and that's certainly the case within the social sciences realm uh, as well so if if anyone from the listeners knows about a research specifically on social science videos um Ping us on Twitter at PsychomJC. We'll be very happy to know. That would be awesome. So what would be a social science topic, Heather? I mean, certainly we could talk Mm -hmm. about how people pay attention or process information when they receive it, because that was something that, you know, they talked about attention. They talked about knowledge um, or recall um, in this. Those are all psychological processes, you know, and so that would be something that I think would be important for people to understand, especially uh, when we're talking or communicating with other science communicators. And I think breaking those processes down might be really helpful. But again, I don't know if videos would be the best way to do that, or if a different medium would be better. Fair. It's very, it also as a consumer of, of science videos on YouTube, it's very difficult to once you start watching science videos, it's very difficult to um, discover the whole spectrum of science videos there is on YouTube because simply the algorithms more push you to um, specialize yourself in watching certain type of videos. So if I watch a lot of astronomy videos, I will get more and more recommendations about astronomy and fewer and fewer, if any, about social science, however many they are there. So that's something actually that the paper also makes quite an interesting point of that um, one reason potentially why layman's videos, so to speak, non-expert videos might be doing better than expert videos in number of views, because that's one of the metrics that they use views per day for certain of the videos, obviously. Uh, corrected for the time that the video had spent on the has been uploaded on the platform um, might be because the layman's uh, content creators um, or the non-expert content creators actually uh, are better aware and better capable of um, exploiting the uh, algorithms in a way that it gives them the the chance to reach a broader audience, which is something absolutely not to be underestimated. One of the things that uh, some people, scientists said was, well, my main issue, uh, my what's blocking me the most is that I don't have the time to figure out these things, uh, to, to learn what is the best time uh, or what is the best way to create a video to how to best to edit. And they were talking and the following conversation was, well, we need to collaborate and whatever. Yeah, so in the Twitter chat, we also discussed uh, something related to the state of science communication institutes here in India, like how uh, we came to the discussion, like how uh, we had these science communication courses for masters and for PhD and even uh, unrelated to that, so just, courses where you can study for a few months for a year but now they have been closing so it's like the situation is not really clear for someone who is an aspiring science communicator like me like should they really pursue this path or not and as a result what I can see is here in the media that there is a lot of uh, misinformation and clickbait when it comes to at least when it comes to science topics related to celestial events and astronomy so there is a lot like if there is a solar eclipse going on 
so in the media in the newspaper the highlight would be something like uh, should you fast or um should you wear this or that should you go out uh, maybe if you're pregnant or if you have kids at what time you should eat so the paper the newspapers the tv the media all of them will be highlighting on them because they know the people are interested into that rather than uh, a science communicator or an astrophysicist they actually come here and they explain what is a solar eclipse so that is not really seen and i think uh, one reason behind that is because we do not, we have these journalists but we do not have science communicators either in the mainstream media or even in the social media and everywhere else and one reason because uh, is we do not have these opportunities where students can take this course and after studying this course they can get these jobs in museums in tv or in the other journalism places like if they get these jobs if they do it it will definitely reach the people but now uh, i think there is a lack of the, the opportunities either in the job or the study opportunities uh, which is somewhat like this happening like what exactly is happening because in the other countries i do see how science communication has really taken um, i would say it has been growing exponentially and people are considering science communication as a career it's like even if they have been into a academia for like 10 years or more than 10 years even 20 years they'll be like okay let's start something new let's start um, you know going live or let's uh, share our journey on instagram or let's start making youtube videos which is something entirely new they could have done that 20 years before too but here in india i did you know during this tutajet i also uh, came to this point as well um yeah during the chat we were talking well one maybe one of the reasons that expert videos aren't as effective is because experts don't have the training and some people were saying we should just leave it to the communication experts and other people were saying no we should train scientists to be better communicators and i think that's where the conversation started yeah there there has been a gap like we we have these wonderful scientists but they are not able to reach the people because they're not trained in that particular sector i i, I don't think that is just in the case here in india but that is like in other places as well like if the scientists they're not given these opportunities to communicate with the public uh, and do interact with them they're not necessarily sure how to communicate the same idea if they have you know they can explain it to their peers but when it comes to explaining to uh, students who are very young if they are able to explain it to them i think uh, through training they can do it and that is one way how the scientists uh, even if they do not necessarily want to pursue a career in science communication but they would be like better science communicators and they can uh, like shorten this gap between the public understanding and how they see science and even the things they do personally i think getting training in good communication is relevant in any aspect of life if we all learn uh good communication skills good listening skills and knowing um just some of the common um communication principles that we are aware of as science communicators if everybody learns that world would be a much peaceful place <laughs> yeah and indeed it it's important to be able to communicate in any aspect of your life properly to make sure that <laughs> you are understood by people correctly 
to avoid misunderstandings and miscommunications in general, and especially so uh, when we're talking about uh, rather more complex uh, areas as a scientific topic. And it, it, it makes sense yeah. that uh, also back to one of the findings of the paper that if you are able to do it in a bit more lighthearted way when that is of course warranted <laughs> and you're able to um, entertain the people around you it, it, those positive interactions have been shown form lasting relationships with the matter that you're talking about and mm -hmm. I think that's where Maria's videos that they do very well if you haven't seen Maria's videos this is a, a it's not a shameless plug because I'm doing it for her <laughs> go and check them out because they're very friendly kind of discussions that you can relate to on a personal level as well apart from learning something scientific and I think Maria has something to say about the entertaining value of yeah yeah I was just gonna say I was just remembering that to me it's such a big deal because so I have a statistics tattoo and the reason I do is because I in my PhD program I had this amazing year of statistics courses because it was uh, taught by a professor who was just so funny and he used memes about statistics and I was like this is great <laughs> you know? so anyway so yeah I wanted to say that it made so much sense to see that viewers actually retain more knowledge from videos they found more entertaining. It makes intuitive sense to me. Like I say, I know it's easier to learn with a little bit of fun. And actually, I kind of low-key fight about this with uh, a couple of friends of mine who are a little bit more old school about education, who think like, oh, too much fun. is It's almost like detrimental or cheapens the educational experience. And I definitely disagree. This is why I keep my own videos not too serious. You know, I often blame it on living close to Hollywood, let's say, to um, after somebody explains something complex, I go like, what about this scenario in movies? Is it realistic? And I'm hoping it like piques interest and people are like, oh, OK, yeah, I want to know. <laughs> so um, to me, adding a bit of play, some personality, some enthusiasm into the videos really makes a lot of difference. And hopefully it does help retain more info from my own videos. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, first of all, you're a stats teacher who made Genius. statistics yes. exciting. They yes. need a Nobel Prize <laughs> in education. Yeah, because uh, statistics, oh my God, mm -hmm. it is dry. But I definitely agree with you, Maria, in terms of the value of being entertaining. As an educator, it's just easier uh, to keep students engaged and awake in the classroom where they're um, teaching them something. And another thing I've noticed is that uh, students tend to remember concepts better because once, you know, when they take a course, they learn it enough, long enough to know for the test and then you see them later and they're forgotten. But when you present something in a humorous or entertaining mm -hmm. way, they remember it for life. Absolutely. And I mean, in addition to being entertaining and getting people to come back for more, because ultimately that's our goal. I think, you know, I wonder, because this conversation in our Twitter chat and this paper brought it up that how else can we actually support the development of structural knowledge, though, through our broader communication efforts? And so I'm wondering if maybe, you know, even if it's not something that comes from the videos directly, mm -hmm. um, it comes from maybe the social media posts that we do when we promo our videos, or mm -hmm. even in the video comments where we're actually engaging with folks who are watching and who have questions. And so I, I'm wondering if, you know, to me, at least to me, the goal of science communication is less about necessarily helping people like learn a whole bunch of just facts, you know, facts 
but really about how to integrate those facts into their existing life. So I totally agree with you, Sherry. Entertainment is key. Getting people to come back is key. And I think we can do that maybe um, through the videos to a limited extent, and then also with all of the rest of our communication that helps sort of surround those videos. Yeah, if, if uh, I think uh, spending some time on Reels and TikTok and following some of those awesome science communicators, you can, uh, can pick up some pointers about <laughs> how to be entertained. <laughs> so one thing I wonder about the questions asked in the study is if they measured not only understanding but accepting the information. And I realized that that was not the purpose of the study. It didn't focus on acceptance, just retention. So uh, the question of the value of information coming from a person with expertise versus a non-expert becomes very important in terms of communicating controversial science-related topics because a lot of us science communicators want to debunk myths and those things that become myths are controversial. So I wonder uh, if the results would have been different if the audience were tested for trusting the information and perceive it to be true rather than retaining it. Yes, yeah, so uh, to some extent it was, uh, I think it was covered in the paper, but not exactly how you mentioned it because uh, maybe the videos they covered, they must have not been about these, uh, you know, about these topics which necessarily need a scientist or an expert to back it up because there have been so many videos uh, let's say about the pandemic and the coronavirus when if an expert is saying something that automatically everybody would be agreeing to them more compared to any other science mm -hmm. communicator but in the paper they did actually measure that uh, they were entertaining and when the viewers were you know getting entertained they were also accepting that maybe this is just true and they were understanding it as well as they were thinking that, okay, this is true. And they were believing it uh, compared to just uh, the, uh, the other aspect. So, but I think uh, it also depends like what are the different videos, the German videos they have taken into consideration. Were they just different branches of science or were there also the controversial news? Because personally, I also think that if an expert is talking about something that is controversial, so the people would be obviously thinking, yeah, this person knows it because they or he or she, you know, they have worked in the lab and they must be having this knowledge and they must be understanding this more compared to a person who has just uh, read a few papers and they know how to communicate it better. So maybe they do not have all the resources. So apart then the controversial news, I think uh, controversial uh, science uh, sites, I think, uh, the paper had somewhat covered it. Like if you're entertaining, uh, people will actually think that, yeah, you're right. And they will agree with you more easily. Uh, time, unfortunately, is advancing. So Rashmi, again, congratulations. And thank you very much for submitting your uh, mission statement to our challenge. We we're ha very happy that you did. And clearly our Twitter follow followers appreciated it a lot as well. So let tell us, and I will include also the links as well, but tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, um, so they can start, they can easily find me. Uh, so I am Rashmi Sharan, but the allies I use, uh, the project that I'm doing it is Astro Roxy. So they can easily find me through my project Astro Roxy. Um, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram with the handle Astro underscore Roxy. And even on my YouTube channel, that is Astro Roxy. And um, uh, I am 
like in the process of making a multilingual series there nice. in the field of astronomy so i hope guys uh, subscribe and stay tuned for that and if you are not active on instagram or twitter you can also follow me and the stuff i do on facebook uh, my page is again astroroxy and if you want to make it more professional and you want to discuss something else i am also available on linkedin awesome thanks uh, as i said we're going to post links in the show notes to all those places where you can connect with roxy and um unfortunately as i said this is all the time we have for today but i'm sure we will have more opportunities in the future to have roxy about other topics in psycom and i want to wish you uh, a lot of good luck for your videos and especially for the multilingual ones we had a very a uh, very successful discussion mm-hmm. in the past about multilingualism in psycom so all thumbs up for that activity roxy mm-hmm. <laughs> roxy right <laughs> roxy i just started calling you by your twitter <laughs> handle roxy <laughs> uh, thanks rashmi sherry tell us about our next twitter chat our next twitter chat is going to be on a saturday i think it's the first saturday in april yes and we're going to be having a special co- uh, guest um sci for teens they're actually a group of teenagers who have set up a nonprofit organization which um their aim is to build science literacy in youth and the way they do it they challenge young people many high school students to write sci-fi articles which is fantastic so that's going to be the topic of our discussion we're going to Uh, discuss strategies to build science literacy in, in youth which is very important because we got to start them early um before they fall into the misinformation <laughs> trap um so awesome. well if you want to make sure that you don't miss that twitter chat and all the discussions that happen in it make sure to go on twitter and follow us at psycom_jc you can also read recaps of our twitter chats on our website which is psycomjc.org and you can leave comments and get in touch with us you can also sub- subscribe to our newsletter to receive updates on all our upcoming activities events twitter chats podcast releases summaries of some interesting psychomy topics that we don't always have the time to cover in a twitter chat on a podcast but go on our website and again to do that you can simply go to www.psychomjc.org this podcast is recorded by the psychomjc team produced and edited by me Nevena Kristozova and our music is from Audio Jungle thank you for joining this 21st episode of the science communication journal club podcast if you liked it let us know and please share it with your friends till next time and stay nerdy